1: Welcome to this episode of the Michelle Tafoya podcast. Throughout my career, I have met so many unique, fun, interesting, inspiring people. And you don't always get to share their full stories in a television broadcast. Sometimes I get 15 seconds, sometimes I get 45. But that's why I love this podcast, because I can introduce you to some of these people that I've met that maybe you haven't. Les Norman is one of these people. Played for the Kansas City Royals, had a great high school, college, and minor league career in baseball. Uh, You won't believe his backstory. You may have seen him on Wheel of Fortune, but you won't believe his backstory and how someone who went through that much suffering could come out on the other end the way he has. I want you to meet former Major League Baseball player Les Norman. Um, He's got his own podcast now. You'll hear about that later. But stay tuned, because this is a good one.
0: Now, it's time for some sanity. It's the Michelle Tafoya Podcast.
1: Les Norman, welcome. It's so great to have you. I I love introducing my new friends to the the podcast listeners and viewers. Um, And you've done a lot in your life. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: What is the most important role that you play? I have a feeling I know what you're going to say, but say it anyway.
3: Well, gosh, um, it, it's definitely going to be a uh, husband to my bride of 27 years and father to my 22-year-old and 18-year-old sons, Mac and Tate. So, I mean, everything else I do besides my faith, uh, everything else I do hinges upon leading them, loving them, providing for them. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, it, and it's an honor to do that. I love being able to, to do that. I've been blessed and you're right. I'm the busiest guy that I know. And yet somehow <laughs> I have free time to do what I want. So I'm still trying to figure out how.
1: Yeah, that's fantastic. But it wasn't always happy, easy life for you. Right. You mentioned it briefly in your bio that childhood wasn't all that easy. Mm-hmm. How would you describe the way you grew up?
3: uh scared. Um and the one one of the things I think that's common be- between you and I is that I, I'm not throwing that victim card around. I mean anytime there's a, a child that is abused, they are a victim. And and I had a father that was uh an alcoholic to the nth degree. He might have even made the term up. Um he was really tough, uh really vicious, abusive. Um you know, physically? Physic physically. To me it was physical Emotional, mental. I mean, my dad was—it's uh, the old phrase—go cut me a switch. And so, I would have to go on a tree outside and cut him one of those whippy willow things if I did something wrong. And then he'd wear me out with that. Um, and I got it off easy. for what he did to my sister and my mom was way worse. And so, um, I consider myself blessed in that area. But yeah, it—it it wasn't easy. I didn't want to come home. I buried myself in school in second grade because of that. I'd stay at school and. I was tutoring fifth graders in math when I was in second grade. So it was just there was a there was a guy there named Bob Kekka who just he was the father figure in my life that I needed as a really, really young boy. So, yeah, it it started off uh, pretty tough, pretty scary, a lot of bad memories there. But, uh, you know, over time, you become resilient, build up your skin.
1: That's hard to imagine. For those of us picturing a little second grade boy, uh, I have a son and it's so the picture comes to mind very clearly for me. How many people outside of your house knew what you were enduring?
3: Ooh, tough call. Um, I had, we had some relatives. Uh, I had, we had an uncle that when things would get really bad and my dad had gone on one of his tirades and slamming stuff. And, you know, there were many times I'd come home from school and see my mom and dad wrestling. We lived in this really rundown trailer in this rundown trailer park and I would see them in the gravel, in the driveway, walking with a friend or the school bus dropping me off and, and seeing them rolling around fighting physically in the driveway. And um, so the police knew because they were over at our place quite a bit. I had some, a couple uncles and an aunt that knew, but aside from that, it wasn't necessarily a public thing. Teachers didn't know it was kind of kept, I, I felt the shame of it. And so I didn't Didn't really let that out. And I'm sure word gets around small town at the time of maybe 2000 people. It's probably up to about five or 6000 now. But uh, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't something you talked about back in that generation. And my mom just kept going back to it. So uh, it, it, it was probably small, a small amount of people that actually knew what was going on.
1: But you and your sister and your mom certainly did. As you said, your mom mm-hmm. kept going back, so you didn't, you didn't have anywhere else to go. Right. You said what he did to your mom and sister was far worse than what he did to you, and mm-hmm. it's hard for me to imagine. Um, what can you tell us about that, just so we have an idea of what you endured as a son and a brother?
3: Well, I didn't know what was going on in all this. And um, let's just say that, that I had a father that took advantage of my sister in his position in in every way. And it's something that girls should not ever have to endure from any man, let alone the trusting of their own father. Um, So there was abuse there of a sexual nature with my sister, Um, with my mom. It was so physical where um, I I remember a day where my, my mom had come home from probably her third job because he was either getting fired or not working, or he was gone for days on end. And one day he was home and he was really drunk. I was in the kitchen and I said, mom, right hand. And as I said, right hand, I was trying to tell her I could see his fist clenching up and he got her and punched her in the face with her glasses on. And you, I mean, it was like a, a horrible CSI movie. You could see the blood spatter on the wall and she went down and the lens went into her eye and just was a millimeter away from from hitting her, uh, her cornea. And uh, yeah, it was a tough day. I remember then my sister and I booked to the police station and, and then we were told that if we went to the police station or we got help, tried to go get help, that he would hurt us more. And so we in the back room of the trailer, we would jump out the window and run up to the police station and, and do that. And so um, that was kind of a normal thing. I mean, school became my my safe and fun place until baseball took that place. And the only reason I even discovered baseball was because I came home one day, I was tired of hearing them fighting or worried about what was going to happen. And um, if I got a a B minus in my report card, it was world war 78. And so I just went down to the baseball field because I saw some guys playing. So it, it was, it was an almost daily thing when he was home, mom did everything she could to support us. Um, it was, it was really, really tough. Uh, both my sister and I were very intelligent growing up in school academically because that's where we spent most of our time. So right. you know, that was kind of the life and, That was a long time ago, but you know, you, it really helped me, Michelle, it it helped me become an incredible dad because I was, I was bitter and hateful at my dad for a lot of years, but eventually through some counseling, I got through that and and really forgave him. And, you know, I can use the wrong roadmap to go to the right places. If I'm going to California, a map of Rhode Island is going to help because at least I know which way not to go. (laughs) And so, um, go ahead
1: no it's a it's an amazing perspective and and I want to get to mm-hmm. how you came out of this because see to me, you hear two different stories. You hear mm-hmm. the one where this kind of experience changes the kid in a way that he never ever wants to be like his dad, mm-hmm. but then there's the other direction that you often hear where the kid grows up to become exactly like mm-hmm. his dad, right. so I'm wondering how when you if if there was a fork in the road or if you just always knew there's just this is not right this is not who I'm ever going to be i mean I, if you can how would you describe that moment in your life where you decide you are going to take control
3: great question and you know because you're you're kind of good at this you always ask great questions so the there were there were many forks in the road i mean one day i came home around 12 13 years old i think i was 12 and it was quiet and so I walked in and I said, mom, where's dad? She said, well, he left. I said, well, I, I can see and hear that you guys aren't fighting. He's not yelling and screaming. He's not sitting at the table drinking again. Where did he go? And she said, well, he left and he's never coming back again. And I never saw my dad again. And I remember that night, I was thinking, this is the best night of sleep I'm ever going to get. I mean, life is joyful but over time, even though I was starting to get involved in little league baseball, and s- I was the, a really little guy. You know, now I'm six foot, 200 pounds. I played in the major leagues at about six foot, 185. But, but I was a little kid up until my junior year of high school. But, um, you know, th- there was just this permeating thing of if I remember thinking this at 15 years old, if I ever see him again, I'm going to beat him with an inch of his life. Because he was like five foot six, had little man's disease i'm gonna beat him within an inch of his life and let him heal and not let him get out in the public i'd tie him to a chair if i had to and then i'm going to remind him oh remember this that you did to me and my sister and my mom and then do the same thing just beat him with an inch of his life so i grew up really angry really frustrated buried myself into the baseball thing and and worked really hard because that's where i found my acceptance hanging out with older guys i had been drinking a lot as a teenager um, was a promiscuous teenager, um, just burying myself in anything that could numb the pain, and was beginning to battle depression. Here, I'd won a high school state championship, was a two-time All-American in college, also played a little bit of college football as well. But I, my inside, my mind was going south. And by the time I got to the big leagues, and that that jersey was was kind of a shield for me. I had put so many layers in front. And one day, when I was in my thirties, my wife said, "Listen." you're angry you're obviously in pain still you need to go get help because i was still bitter you know i'm almost 55 now so you're talking 20 years ago and so i went to a counselor who was also a friend a christian counselor and for the first time he he was trying to help me understand let's go down the route of understanding what your dad went through it doesn't it doesn't make it okay what he did but it helped me understand that my father didn't know who his dad was. He was a victim or a, a result of a one night stand. And his mom was abusive to him, and, and he was escaping his own horrible life. And so, as I began to understand, I was still being a good dad because at the time my kids were very, very little. But now you add forgiveness to it, now you add peace to it. And, and now you you understand that, you know, being a man of faith, God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And and God was frustrated at my dad and mad at my dad for abusing his kids, but I can be plucked out of a generation and not live that same life of anger and abuse and alcoholism. And so I, I can remember almost to the day sitting in counseling, this flood of tears, this flood of emotion falling to where the point finally the Lord said, I forgave you. Now you need to forgive him and you don't forget about it, but I forgave him. and And so for the last 20 some years, I have lived in absolute peace. My dad is no longer with us. I had heard that he got hit by a car when I was 21, I think it was, uh, even though I thought that he'd had been pa- he passed away before that. So it was that moment that all that pain went away. The forg- It filled up with the Lord's forgiveness. I realized how much I need his forgiveness. And so um, now one of the things I do is try to help dads, fathers, husbands, um, just be able to to deal with their pain in the past. I actually teach a class called Healing from Father Wounds at our church. So probably too long of an answer. I apologize, Michelle, but
1: Don't um, it's there's so much there, and I, I I'm hearing a lot of the the Christian strain, the faith. When did that enter your life? Yeah, through just counseling and, or
3: no? That was that was a little bit before that. Um, when I I'd been a an all American my sophomore and junior year of college at St. Francis in Joliet, Illinois, and um, after my junior year, I was drafted by the Boston Red Sox in the twenty third round, and and I had this number of like thirty thousand dollars I had. Nobody was helping me or teaching me this is how it works. And after the couple of good years, including summer league that I'd had, I thought, okay, $30,000 And Boston offered me $2,000 to sign. And so I turned it down because I'm not taking $2,000. I go to play summer ball and I'm almost close to the Triple Crown in the Central Illinois Collegiate League. And slowly but surely, that scout would keep coming back and offering increments of $2,000 more, $5,000 more. And eventually it got to the 30,000. But my thinking at the time was okay, wait a second. I can't buy my Ford Mustang. I can't finish school. What, what is it about guys in Ford Mustangs or sports cars? We're so weird <laughs> like that. It's just so goofy. Um, I didn't understand the value goes away when you leave the lot. Didn't care. Wanted my gray Mustang. And so I turned it down. And my senior year, I didn't realize it, but deep inside, I was really battling depression. That's when some anger really started to permeate. Um, I got kicked off my fall team as an All-American and as a captain of wow. my college baseball team. Now I could play in the spring, but just angry all the time and was not a good leader when, when I should have been and had a horrible senior year, even to the point my coaches took me to the doctor, the eye doctor, and said, OK, it has to be your eyes because you've never played this bad. And oh, I wish wow. that would have been the excuse. But yeah. so the Royals drafted me. And then I went out to short season baseball and there was a guy named Bobby Meacham, who was our coach. He played for the Yankees under George Steinbrenner. Steinbrenner didn't like him. He had a great testimony as well. And I would go to these chapel services playing short season. I was hitting 160, by the way, which is not good for a 25th round pick (laughs) to be able to keep your job. Right. So Tom Poquette was our manager and he was teaching me how to hit. And on chapel, I would go to go to go hang out with a guest speaker and I remember that the reason I went to chapel was because I had raised so much hell for six days that I needed a cleanup on Sunday because Monday I was going to start right back up again. But the, because I didn't trust men because of what my dad did and some relationships that my mom had been in, I didn't trust guys at all. Anybody with a, that was a male authority figure in my life, I wanted nothing to do with because they had to prove themselves to me. And even then I probably wouldn't have trusted them, but Meech was different. And there was one day after a game where, we lost like 15 to three or something like that. And I was mad. It was a competitor. I didn't get any hits that game. Wasn't getting any hits in any game usually. But after it was over, he wasn't mad to the point where it affected his life. What he said in chapel on Sundays and how he coached us, he was steady right here all the time. Mm-hmm. And he had three little kids that came to hug him. And he kind of he didn't push him away. He said, hang on a second, guys. I need, to, I need to see your mama first. And so he went to his wife gave her a hug, gave her a kiss, told her that he loved her, and then he scooped his kids up. And so his foundation was in Christ and then his wife and then his kids. And that brought me to to trust him. He lived what he said. And so when I was 22, sitting in a clubhouse with my arm in a sling after I got injured, I had made the decision that that night I was going to take my own life. And so uh, didn't know how, didn't know what, but I remember thinking I've worshiped myself, alcohol, females, the press, everything that had to do with me. And, And Michelle, this is a crazy thing to say 30 some years later, but I sat there thinking, I can't believe behind me that the clubhouse door to go to the field was behind me. I can't believe that this game's going on without me. I mean, even in my worst, most desperate day of my life, their ego was still in there. And so Meech happened to walk in and I don't know if he forgot his scorebook, and forgot his notes, but the, he's supposed to be out there coaching. And I said, Meach, there's something different about you, man. I got to know what it is. And so he shared the gospel with me and he shared the peace that he had and, and what he did to get through his difficult times. And that was having a saving relationship with Jesus. And so I gave my life to the Lord in 91 of that year. Thought I was going to be done, but um, had surgery and decided I was going to play try to play for the lord and just be happy I had a uniform and the next year was a was an all-star and then 2 years after that was in the big leagues it's crazy and that's the short version of the story
1: the short version is there a book you're going to be writing anytime soon cuz I'd love to hear the long version
3: yeah so uh i've i've been pressed on that life is just a little bit crazy but now that my kids are older um it's yeah. something that i would love to do i want to glorify god in it not me but it's but it but it's a story, and and along the road there've been so many bumps and disappointments, and like Lord, I don't understand what you're doing. There's a royal story mixed in there too. So, I would hey, I, I, I think that was a challenge.
1: Yeah, I and I I'd love to see you see it through, uh, yeah. because you know, here's the thing that I, I've been sort of struggling with, and and this is tell me if I get too personal here and I I go too far. Okay, good, good. When you use terminology, like, okay, so I was raised Catholic, Mm -hmm. left the Catholic church, went and got baptized Episcopalian. My kids are Lutheran. None of that really is important to this except to explain that I'm not a super religious person. Mm -hmm. Um, But I find the more people that I meet and I meet a bunch of you in athletics and sports. Yep. That are deeply committed to your faith,
3: mm-hmm.
1: but there's terminology that you use, like "I want to glorify God." He taught, or you know, Mitch taught me the, the gospel, mm-hmm. and this terminology makes me think, okay, what does it all mean? Like, what does that all mean? Like, what is the one thing that you that hooks you mm-hmm. um, that makes you go, "This can help me." Like, I it all seems sort of huge and overwhelming and vague. And, and even though I, I do believe that there's a God mm-hmm. and I am, I am discover- I'm digging deeper and deeper into this. I meet someone like you and who it clearly changed your life. Oh yeah. I mean, it changed your life. Mm-hmm. And I get curious about how you were so willing to just let go of all of these things that were so they just had, they had a stranglehold on you.
3: Yes, it's a good for phrase. most of
1: your life, right? Yes, and, and yeah. then it's, it seems like in a moment you're able to cut those strings and just. And I'm just wondering, how, how does it happen like that? Does it? Is it? A, what What happened?
3: Well, it's a great question, Michelle, and thanks for asking. It's a
1: long-ass question, but go yeah, ahead.
3: That's okay. I, I think my answers are longer than your questions, so you get a break, and it's your podcast. You can do what you want. So, <laughs> um, you know, it, it, when I was going to chapel, I was listening to what they were saying, and so I would do some study on my own and, and try to understand what the Bible said, and you use the word religion, and what I've come to learn over the years is that it, it, religion is our way from where I see it, to try to connect to God. But in reading in reading Jesus' words, like, you know, in Romans 10, 9, and 10, it talks about, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. And then John 14, 6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And so as I would read those and and read the life of Jesus, in the Bible and and understand that, wow, he, he was the only human, he was both God and man, he was the only one to ever walk the earth and not sin. I mean, I can't wake up and be awake for five minutes without a thought I shouldn't have or a selfish deed I should do or something like that. And it, it, I ask a lot of people this question, so I'll ask you this question. How scary would it be if a comic bubble appeared over our heads in real life, three dimensional and every thought that we had would come out like a like a typewriter for the whole world to see. I mean, how scary is that thought? Yeah. I don't want I don't want people to know what I'm thinking all the time and and so, you know, you're married, you have a great marriage, great family. I'm married, have a great marriage, great family. But there's that 99% we give the people closest to us and yet that 1% that nobody knows. And so in understanding that Jesus loved me that much to die for my sins, it wasn't my salvation was when I had prayed to receive him. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. That was the moment for me that I passed from death unto life according to God's word. But over time I was skeptical and I needed to see it. I needed to search for what God really meant. I needed to, and remember, not trusting a male figure. Most times, especially with guys, how our dad treats us is the view we get of God. And so my view of God was he let this happen. So he probably had this ginormous magnifying glass, and I'm just the ant trying to not get burnt in the center of that, that, that reflection in there. And so it was both time, trying to learn and trust and study, and then also understanding God revealed his truth to me. And so when Meach shared that, and I I compared what the Bible said with how Meach walked it out, I just longed for that peace, longed and trusted God's word. And so the short answer, studying a little bit over time, prayer in the moment, and people can argue religion all day. And I don't, get in these these big debates of religion and all that because we're all the same under God. I believe that God created us all. I believe we're all sinners from the curse of Adam, but you can't argue with a changed life. And Jesus has changed my life dramatically. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean that things are always good. I mean, I've had struggles and hard times and have things I still struggle with to this day, but I know that beyond a shadow of a doubt because I trust God's word that when my life is over, I know where I'm going to be, again, according to God's word.
1: It's all really interesting, and um, it's people like you that make me more curious. (laughs) And um, and and unfortunately, I mean, especially right now, we're seeing some really, really ugly stuff in the world, Mm -hmm. and people are doing it in the name of what they consider their god, right? Yes. And that kind of evil is really terrifying, Mm -hmm. and. Do, I mean, is it as simple as there's good versus evil in the world and that's that?
3: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, if you if you look at Ephesians 6 in the Bible, it talks about what's really going on and that the the evil isn't – I mean, yes, we see people like Hamas. That is yes. evil personified. Yes. We're terrorists, you know, these terrorist sects, not just Hamas, terrorists all over the world and other different factions – that just want to wipe out humans that don't believe what they believe. I mean, there is, there is evil that's manifested right before our eyes and you don't have to go very far. You know, I was, I was looking on, I was on Twitter and we follow each other on Twitter and just kind of catching some updates and you just see atrocities and hate. So in Ephesians six, it talks about what the real battle is. And, you know, a long time ago, Satan fell because he wanted to be God. He wanted to be like God. And, and so, there, we don't have a people problem. We have a sin problem. There's sin in the world since again Adam fell, and so I'm not surprised. I'm I'm horrified at when I see babies massacred and women raped and and just the evil again that goes on all over the world. It's it's ridiculous and horrible, but but again, there is a sin problem that just permeates. Uh, society permeates human beings. And and again, it started with Adam. People are all about themselves. Um, When when you get to a point, I mean, it's, we can talk about this Michelle all day, but yet I don't think there are any words in any language that can describe the level of evil that we're seeing. But, and I'll end this point with this. I'm not surprised because Satan's at work. He is putting his pieces in play he hates the fact that people want to follow God because he wanted to be like God and got kicked out of the kingdom. And, you know, another verse uh, says that it's first Peter five, eight, your enemy, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. He uses people. Um, he uses uh, uses evil people to do horrible things. And then one more thing I'd say is I think it's in revelation that says near the end times, the love of most will grow cold. And are we not seeing that nowadays? I mean, in politics, in religion, in countries, in there's so much going on that people are so extreme that we're seeing the Bible and prophecy and scripture come to life. So it's sad and it's horrified, but I am not surprised because evil is evil and Satan's not going to quit.
1: You're not surprised, but this is what I ask. And gosh, the time with you has just flown. Yeah. Um, we we like to keep our podcast short, which means we have to have you back because there's so much to yeah. talk about. But before I let you go, I mean, this uh, we've just heard about a really horrific childhood, mm-hmm. um, a smart guy, a talented guy, an athletic guy who found his way. Mm-hmm. And you and I are both seeing some really distressing times in this world that I never thought we'd see. Right what gives you hope? Not just about the afterlife. I I think people need hope here on earth right now. And I, I, you know, it's, it's kind of like all we have. So where do you find it?
3: That is the great question. And I love the fact that so many people watch and listen and subscribe to your podcast. And by the way out there, if you're not, you should pause (laughs) Go to the subscribe button, whether it's over there or down there, or wherever. Click on There's subscribe. This is a man who
1: knows how to podcast. That's Believe what this man it. is right now.
3: Believe it. Radio and podcaster and TV guy. <laughs> this this gets makeup sometimes. So, um, yeah, the, one word. And and I know that, you know, we talk about afterlife or whatever. My hope is in Jesus because I know I'm hopeless. You know, I, I'm a sinner. Everybody that's walked this earth has failed and fallen short of God's standard so I rest my life on God's promises. I can't be the husband that I am to the rock star, best friend bride of 27 years that I have in Kristen. I can't be what she deserves and live that out without my faith in Jesus. I can't be the the dad to my 22 year old son, Mac, my 18 year old son, Tate, who also love the Lord. And, and we're, we're a, a Christian family. And so my hope lies in him. I, you know, I, I can't do anything well. I can't do anything right. I appreciate the compliment and you were on my show and I can give you a compliment all day because you've earned it. You have and you you always have been and always will be one of my favorite broadcasters, sideline reporters of all time because you are so good at your job. You do your research. You take it seriously. You are the consummate professional <laughs> in everything that you do but for me, I do 100,000 things in, in my career, and yet I am hopeless without Jesus in my life as my savior.
1: This is It's just an interesting conversation to have. I mean, um, it, it, it really is. And I've had a few of them. Mm-hmm. I love sports. I love politics. I love talking with, I love people. Yes. I love people. I, and I know you do too, mm-hmm. and and that's what you do with your podcast as well. So let's let you plug yours now. Where can people find you, Les?
3: Well, it's the uh, you can go to Norman dot com, and and it's not that I'm an ego driven dude. Just Les Norman was available, so I picked that name <laughs> for the for the website. Well,
1: and it does identify who you are,
3: right? Absolutely, <laughs> so that. I mean, usually, yeah. So. My show, my radio show, Breaking the Norm, airs in the Kansas City area. It airs on ESPN Kansas City 94.5 on Tuesdays at 4 p.m. And then the replay is Saturday morning at 7 on Sports Radio 810 WHB. And again, that's the Kansas City metro area. And then actually where I'm I'm sitting here at my church podcast room, because I'm going to be recording a podcast with a friend of mine, and that's the Watching World podcast. And we just we talk about – Biblical things and what's going on in the world and have great guests to get to know people. And I love doing that as well. So um, that's called the watching world podcast. You can catch that on iTunes uh, and check that out as well. So and and subscribe wherever that subscribe button is somewhere. Yeah, around go can,
1: click on it. Go, yeah, click, go on click on it. Click on
3: that as well. So, all you need
1: to do is hit subscribe. It's not like we're asking for money here. It's just not at subscribe all. Subscribe to help them help them out. Um, I, it's uh it's an interesting time to be in the world. Mm-hmm. and it requires i think tons of courage yeah. to stand up and say what you believe Amen. to stand up with like-minded people to challenge other ideas it's 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 not easy but i'm always appreciative of those who are willing to do it and particularly those who are willing to do it in a level-headed even-handed loving way which you are so we've got to do this again Les, because we barely scratched the surface
3: right i would love to and you know there's two things that we all should be doing and i think michelle you know what these are i believe we need to be brave and do good right
1: and on that note we'll call (laughs) it a day happy thanksgiving Les.
3: same to you michelle thanks for having me